Welcome back to another awesome podcast that we have for you. My name is Mark Harvey. This is Real Life. And don't forget to turn on our podcast notifications so that you get notified every time we do a new podcast. So I hope you're going to enjoy this one. And if you have any questions or you have any topics that you want us to cover, then message us, reach out, and we will make a podcast or we'll do a video answering it for you. So now on with the podcast. To real life TV. This is going to be an amazing. That sounds like an introduction to QVC. (laughs) So if you're looking to buy diamonds or jewelry or even Hoovers or steam mops, this is the wrong place. I know it sounded like that, but it isn't that. This is where you're going to get your questions around architecture. No, it's not architecture, is it? Well, no, it's planning. Architects. Architects. What do you actually call it? No, it's architecture and planning. It's not architecture. Yes, it is. It's architecture. Well, we'll be able to ask them soon. Yeah. Yeah. But this is going to be amazing. So, So first of all, what you need to do what you need to do... I'm going to start sharing. Yeah, you need to do that quickly. I'm doing it now. Wait. Share, share, share. Where is it? Where is it? There it is. No, it's not the live one. What? Not the live one. You can still talk to them. Yes. You need to share. Look, wherever you're watching this, put a hashtag replay if you're watching on a replay. But also put your questions in. Because there's going to be so many people on this thread where you can get your questions answered. Yeah, so let's see where we can get the share. First of all, I need to co- I need you to comment whereabouts are you in this country of England? And if you're not in England, where are you? We want to hear from you. So what else have we got? Where else? Where, 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 where else are we? Listen, this is going to be amazing tonight. Tina, start tagging some people. You've got to tag loads of people. We have so much oh, we're wow. going to go through. Like, literally, all the time, there's so many questions about planning and Article 4 and um, just challenges that people have had around doing developments. So loads and loads of things that you're asking us every single day. Like I've had several of them today, just today. Oh, I'm looking at these properties, I've had offers accepted, but we're going to need planning and what do we do now and how do we deal with that? This is all going to be something you can get right into tonight. So make sure you tag people, share this everywhere, give people the opportunity to finally be able to ask the expert so that they can know how to move forward on their deals. You know, bring your deal. If you've got a deal that you're doing right now where you may have architectural concerns or planning concerns, this is the place where you can find out how to deal with that. Well, here's a question. How important are architects and the planning process? Do you see that sometimes these people might be against you or the planning procedures are there to slow you down, get in your way? Or can you use them to your advantage to make your deals more profitable? You can speed the process of getting through these up and generally make more money and add more value. What do you, what Absolutely. Do you Listen, for example, sorry. I'm you need to tag people. Everywhere. You need to start tagging. Mark, start tagging some people. Tina, start tagging some people. Liliana, start tagging some people if you're on here. But also, let me know whereabouts you are in the country. Let me know whereabouts you are in the country or even in the world if you're outside of England. But also, I want to know, what is it that you stopped doing to be here today? You know, I started asking that question one time. Do you know why? Because I stopped watching a video that someone was making 
uh, a mouse trap out of a bucket of water and a, and a balloon. Yeah, I stopped watching that till he had to come and deliver this. I think it was last week, in fact. Was it last week he wasn't here? Was it last week? Yeah. Yeah, so it's last week. So I want to know, what is it that you're doing? And, oh, yeah, good idea, Tina. Share it. Share it on your timeline and share it in the groups where you might think, yeah, people, let, let, let's give them the choice if they want to jump on and understand how important it is. Well, I love planning. Like, I, It's a bit of a game. I think it's a game, really. Like, it's so fun that especially when the planning officer says, I'm so sorry, but this is just not going to happen. That's when it's like... Right. Who's ever had that? Have you ever had that? Comment. I want to hear from yes. you. Have Tell you ever had it where, where it doesn't come through? And then you're like, Christ, what do I do now? Yeah. What do you do then? Or people tell you, oh, you're never going to get that done. Or you didn't even take the deal on because of planning. Or some way planning took you out of the game. You've got, you've, got to, you've got to get onto this tonight because this, for me, like we operate in a few different Article 4 areas and Article 4, for those of you that don't know, this means that it removes the right to be able to change the use of the building under permitted development into a HMO. So if it has three or more unrelated individuals living in the property, in an Article 4 area, you must obtain planning permission to be able to utilize the opportunity and create a HMO in that area. So in other areas that aren't, um, that don't have an Article 4 there, you can just go and change the use under permitted development up to six persons. So we're going to be covering loads of things like that tonight. And, you know, a lot of people out there, there's a lot of news and they say, like, don't operate, don't do Article 4, just stay away from it. There's no point, blah, blah, blah. I mean, obviously, we're quite public about the fact that we're like, I work at Article 4 and I love them. One, they're very valuable properties and they are extremely high demand as well. So you're always getting really good, like, tenants, great, um, quick um, renting on the rooms, like it's just brilliant, absolutely. So I want to hear. I want to hear where you are. Where Where are you in the country? This is what I want to know. Yes, Kelly, exactly. That's what I was thinking because you were messaging only today. It's everybody's question all the time. What's the question about like Article Fours and planning permission and got an offer accepted? What do I do now? How, is this going to cause me problems? So this is this is the night for you. You're ready for this right now. So what are your questions? If you have a question in particular to do with what is the process of planning or you've got a property that needs planning or you don't even know if you need planning or not. You know, you're looking to do something and you wasn't sure if you needed planning. What are the rules around planning if you're doing some work? Maybe you need to ask that question. So if you've got that question or you've got that situation that's happened to you right now or you foresee that you're going to have that because you want to get into some developments you want to get into hotels i mean listen we have an abundance of experience on this program this evening so let me ask you if if you're actually ready for for us to bring an expert someone by the way by the way let, let, let us do this first because what i want to do i want to this this is so important i want to give a countdown but you got to keep tagging. You got to keep commenting where you are, and also put your questions in there. But here's here's the thing. What number is this, Trisha? Five. What's this one? It's invisible. <laughs> this one. Four. Yeah. What's this one? Three. Two. One. <laughs> one. 
Yeah, awesome. So this is Real Life TV and today we are bringing you how important are architects and planning. So whatever questions you have, wherever it is you're watching this, why don't you type them in there so we can get the information that you so greatly desire and get it to you. Because I'll tell you what, today we have someone who is awesome in this field. This person has dealt with uh, developments to the value of nearly 20 million pounds. Also over 500 planning like granted planning applications single-handedly and also worked in you know bigger teams doing awesome projects as well so if you have a question tonight this is your time this is your place to be able to put that in here and get it answered because that's what we're going to be discussing how important are architects as part of your team and are you utilizing them to the full or what about planning are you going into deals subject to planning are you losing deals are you losing money are you losing time do you work with a planning agent they're they're an expert they know how to deal with the whole process start to finish and manage the application so do you feel that that's an important part of your power team do you utilize that because this is exactly what we're going to be talking about tonight how important those people are in our team oh my good god in heaven wait till you meet this amazing amazing guest so yeah but his uh, head uh, might not but, it's, on, but, it, but it's only it's only going to come on if it's only going to come on if for sure you guys are ready so you got to put hashtag i am ready you got to put hashtag i'm ready if you're ready yeah because only upon you know enough people being ready can we bring this guy on this guy is uh very sought after and he's not just going to come on if only one person's ready so i hope that makes sense to you because we need to we need to hear from you that you are ready and you've got your pen and paper at the ready because this is some serious stuff this literally makes you money thousands and thousands of pounds in added value to properties let's face it isn't isn't it key that you can add value to a property if you're going to be successful in this game isn't that isn't that key like, let me know, comment. Isn't it key? Let me know in the comments. So, by the way, subscribe to this YouTube channel and also make sure you give it a thumbs up. Give it some loves, give it some thumbs up. Just because if you believe this information is important, which you're watching it, so you must do, then let us do that so it gets in front of more people. So, do like it, do share it, and subscribe as well. Okay, so these people are ready. So, let's, let's bring on and let's get this show on the road. So let us do an introduction for you guys. So look, this handsome young man is Adam Wilson of Wilson Architects. And as I said, he's worked on developments as big as nearly 20 million pounds, single-handedly got planning uh, granted on over 500 applications throughout his time in this business. And now he's working on some very awesome projects, especially with us as well, right? Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah? And, and adds great value. So Adam, Welcome. I'm excellent, my friend. So thank Mark, Mark, thank Mark, Mark, it's architecture. What? <laughs> it's architecture. Yes, Adam, high five. For What's the architecture? Right. You weren't sure before. You were going, is it architecture or architect? Architects. Yeah. Architect or is it architecture? So like you're drawing. Yeah. It's still architecture. It just reminds me of like Alan Titmarsh TV program <laughs> where you say architecture. <laughs> like, like, like digging up fossils or something. That's that's yeah, that's, 
More yeah. like a polydemic, I think. <laughs> yeah, see? So, look, are you ready to That's rock paleontology, up? isn't it? I have no idea what you guys are talking about now. When you're digging up fossils. You watch too yeah. much Friends. <laughs> yeah, come on, yeah. Rock, rock, rock. yeah. So, look, let's get some questions on the road. Well, I mean, first of all, just give, a, give us... Give us what your opinion is, Adam, on like, what is it that architects or people that deal with architecture uh, and planning or planning agents, what, what is, what both, is right? yeah, but what is it they do, uh, what is it they deal with? Because I'm not sure if people understand the vastness of the value that can be added. That's it. Well, like architects, we, we cover so much in the construction side of things. So like I say, planning is a big aspect of it. Um, but it isn't everything. And planning is the bit that obviously gains the value for us as investors. And it's the bit that we need to look at when we're looking at a deal and whether we can add value to it. So an architect can really gain that by, you know, meeting you on site at the start, having a look at a site or a property or whatever it is and say, right, how can we maximize this? Is it just a case of, right, we can put as many rooms into this as possible, or is there an opportunity where you can, I don't know, get some background development, or can you extend it into the, you know, to the loft or at the back or the side, or can we then turn that and split it up into flats? There's, there's so many things that, as an architect, we, we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. And so we've really got, you know, we've got the abundance of knowledge because we see it every single day. So, when you come to us with a project, we, you know, we've seen all that so many times before that we can then help you with your project to to sort of uh, maximize it for you. Awesome. So, what would you say is the number one biggest challenge that people come up against? You know, all the different scenarios you see. What's the one thing that really stumps people usually? It's a good question. Um, it depends because it, it always depends on what stage in your experience you're in. But like you say, planning is always the, the stumbling block that everyone always faces. Um, and like Trish said earlier, it's not a stumbling block. It's a process that we've got to go through to make a scheme as good as we possibly can. Um, so it should be seen as an opportunity. Um, but it is, it's always the biggest stumbling block that people face. And because it's an opportunity, because it benefits everyone. Like you're benefiting the council by creating something better out of probably a house that is just depreciating and just doesn't look good on a street. You're providing more yep. accommodation, more luxurious, more um, cost effective accommodation by, you know, adding more insulation. I mean, that sounds quite boring down to the sticks, but all of these things are actually a benefit for an area. And like, for example, we had um, some of our deals, um, Adam, like we had the council put us in the paper. Do you remember that? Because of what no. we did with the property saying, oh my God, this is exactly the kind of standard that we want to see landlords providing in this area. Because yeah, we had to do planning and deal with all of that, but they, they want better conditioned houses. It's just, I understand when they're getting people asking to change the use of a building to do this and this, and they, you know, they're not doing a good job on the back end. So that's where it kind of gets to them, I think. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's it. It's a planning's a it's a way of regulating, you know, how certain areas become. So, you know, it's the same with HMOs. If you I mean, I don't think anyone would want to live in an area where there's ten or fifteen HMOs all in the line. So the planners are there to kind of monitor it, give guidance and sort of say, Well, 
is there other ways that we could do this um, that's going to benefit not just the people who are living in your property, but the whole environment and community that are surrounding it? And I think as, as investors, you know, that are actually trying to do a good job, that's when they see you as a case. Of, I mean, we've had it before again where they'll look at that like you said look at the quality of it and say well hang on a minute if not to you know the, the certain investors that may just want to leave a house as it is you know the wood chip wallpaper and the 20 year old carpets and just chuck tenants in but it's yeah. not like that and, and that's when planners see through that a little bit more and are more lenient because they say well hang on you are actually improving an area so ultimately that's what the planners are there to do so you're working with them not against them because that is like we we see it this way all the time like our planning officers and the council are part of our team you know we yeah. want to benefit the area we want to have great assets and investments but they also want to add value in getting better quality living for the people in their authority so it's got to work both ways. You've got to give it, give back for them giving out to you maybe the planning permission there. I mean, in your experience, have you seen is times changing in how they're, they're dealing with it at councils at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. Do you mean HMOs in general or just? Just any planning. I mean, I, I think just over the last two years, I've seen it change dramatically in them being very like, absolutely not. Um, like a couple of years ago, whereas now they're a lot more open because I think the housing crisis situation is really bad and they've just been a lot more open about adding more dwellings into given areas because they need it. They simply don't yeah. have another choice right now. I think that's it. And to be honest, I think that's where, you know, pioneers like yourselves are actually like improving it. I mean, 10, 15 years ago, HMOs were, you know, you, you see all the old school investors that were literally just, put uh, get a house and just put as many people in and not maintain it and look after it but hmos now aren't just the old student digs that you know are awful and you know you got drafty windows and mold in the bathrooms and everything they're actually nice places to live now it's not just squeezing as many people in as they can but you are actually creating a place that it's a community that you're creating that people can actually you know live in for more than just six months until they move on to the next better thing yeah, it's all this co-living now isn't it yeah that's it <laughs> but that's it but i think all those things are what planners look at and they say well hang on it is actually improving the community and so they are more open to it um and that's all it takes it just takes more and more people to, to do a good job of it i think yeah, but you know, we were talking about this the other week. You know how um, you got like a new build area, for example, like development. Remember how there was um, a discussion around social housing and not having an area that was just for social housing. And we used to have areas like that that were just lots of council houses um, where people may be, um, you know, on benefits. I, I know this might come across not so PC, but I'm just going to say how it is. So, like, you know there's a lot of people on benefits and things like that in a given area and then it gets like a reputation so now the planners have come up with a way to make this not a problem anymore by having areas that are more low what is it called like low income lower income areas um that potentially yeah. then brings the value of that area down in regards to the house prices so now with new developments i mean we were talking about this the other day because we're looking at a massive site right now and they you actually you were saying to me depending on the amount of acres that you're looking to develop you have to include a certain percentage 
it's different depending on your authority, but you have to include a certain percentage of um, authority type sort of housing or for what's it called again? You know, yeah, affordable housing. Yeah. So it's it, it is it's it's where you know you can either I mean there's different things there's there's different options depending on which council you're working with the size of your site and everything else but you know you can have what's called the section 106 where you agree to pay a certain amount towards infrastructure or, or education um, within that council um, or like you say you can you you have to over a certain number of dwellings you have to have um, a certain percentage of affordable housing on site um, you know I, I worked at a housing uh, developer probably seven or eight years ago and there well there was two types which was interesting you've got some where you've got a site of say 20 houses and like you said it's clear as day the ones that are the affordable housing because they're the ones that don't look as nice they're they're done on cheaper bricks less detail on the elevations they're tucked around the back there's not as much parking everything's kind of just an afterthought um whereas you've you have now i don't know nowadays it's not you know at the same time that is a typical area that would become like a you know a lower income less nice sort of part of a development that would bring the houses prices down for the market um but then i mean i've worked with another one literally about well three or four years ago and we did a site of 22 houses and we needed six uh, affordable houses on there and it was exactly the same quality as um, as all the ones that were going on the market. And it meant that the developer had to pay a little bit more because obviously that's, you know, it's, it's up to the same standard. But the result was that people, you know, the majority of those houses sold off plan just like that because they looked at the area and said, well, this is actually a nice place to live. Um, yeah. And it also has an impact on people's, um, like the way people behave as well because you, you live in a nice area and suddenly you look after things so it is tenants well it's the same with tenants like if you don't look after the property for the tenant then they start to treat it in a way that they don't care either because because you're not looking after it so why will they it's like i charge more than most landlords in our area and i do that because i want to attract a certain type of tenant and in my experience the tenants that pay the lowest so maybe the cheapest rooms that we have compared to the ones that pay a lot more they t- they treat the house in a totally different way you know yeah. and that's where i'm like wow you know when they say you pay peanuts you get monkeys i mean this could be of any case right but if you don't have a great architect that knows how to work with the, d- the dwelling that's going to benefit um, the people that are supposed to live in it and then the council can see that you've really taken care of everything and then also um, if you don't have a great planning agent to manage the relationship all the way through to getting it accepted and deal with the challenge because it's the challenges that come up that if you don't yeah. have an agent like you you we're lucky you do both right so you're an architect and a planning agent so you can adjust and work with them like the challenges that come up like how do people deal with that if they don't have somebody there working with them to to deal with those situations i think that's it i think a lot of it as with anything is relationships so if you you know if you work day in day out with you know your local council and this is why a lot of people recommend local architects because they're working with them all the time um you know companies like ourselves we work with loads of council all the time so you do build those relationships anyway um and i think that's part of it it's you know it's understanding you know you can with someone that you've worked with before you can be a lot more look 
this is the issues we know, we know we're both dealing with them. How do we overcome them and actually work together in a dialogue, um, which is much more conducive to a, a positive approval than than saying, look, I want this. Well, I want this. And suddenly it, it turns into a, not an argument, but sort of a, well, I'm not going to approve it. Isn't it? Like yeah, committing things. Yeah. yeah, but it's, it's that, this came up in another video we actually did, and that, that is one of the biggest mistakes that people make is they get so involved in cost-cutting that they forget about to add value. And the only reason people are going to exchange money or a certain amount of money, or in this case more money, mm. is because they're getting more value. Yeah. So it's like to invest in better, because we actually we, we had an exercise with one of our business partners today where we actually just need to uh, clarify some numbers. And Trisha wasn't here at this point, but there were some numbers that came up. And I was like, oh, let me look at the detail of that. And it was like this fancy furniture that I probably wouldn't even buy for my own home, let alone a HMO. My initial reaction was like, what is this? Why are you spend? I think the total cost was about 600 quid for a table and chairs. It's like, why would you do that in a HMO? But then I remember that, look, that money is an investment to get a higher quality tenant, to get them looking after it better than, you know, if it looked like there was a table out of some old community center yeah. or something. That's why for a double ensuite room in that house, we get 600 yeah. pounds a month. Yeah, but going back to our point as well around the um, cutting costing, I think that's some of the things with an architect or a planning agent, because in the beginning it crossed our mind, but we never did it. Mm -hmm. And that is, oh, I'm going to do it myself. I'm yeah, going to yeah. communicate with them myself because it helps me cut cost and it's only and just this learn. little bit of the process or what have you. But yeah. at the end of the day, if you make that investment to then be able to not only save your time so you can do something more efficient with your time. Like get more deals. And yeah, stuff. yeah, get more deals, but also have that process streamlined, speed it up. Like less mistakes. I'm not saying mistakes don't happen because you know there's some things you can't account for, but less yeah. mistakes because the the person has already been through that process. You were just saying local, you know, find local. I mean, I, I'm not. I mean, I think there is a benefit, but sometimes you know a higher quality person in terms of relevant experience. Yeah, they don't is, always need to be in the area. I yeah, get what you're it would there, yeah. would be better than yeah. someone. You know, average person is local. If you ask me, yeah. no. The thing is, as well, I mean, all all architects. If we if we are registered architects, we've been through eight and a half, nine years of uni education, you know, experience on site and all the rest of it. So, like you say, there is already that kind of base level of knowledge um, that can help you. And I mean, you you say about people wanting to cut costs, and like you say. An architect could be seen as a, um, a luxury or you know a nice to have but if you put it you know if you look at how much rental that you actually need to cover an architect's fees you know for the sake of an architect going in there and maybe getting you one extra bedroom or getting a like you say designing a room that's better that means you can charge an extra 50 100 quid a month they've they've paid the fees in no time whatsoever so but that's yeah, that's an Sorry, I don't, I don't think it's just that as well. I think it's also the whole point, especially if, if people want to make some serious money and add some serious value to people in society, then you've got to be able to add value. And then add value, but 
what you're buying first, then what it's going to be worth, not only as a refinance value, but as a value in the rental income and a value in terms of how many rooms or the, or the quality of the uh, property that it is. It's like doing that by yourself. I mean, I was in the building trade since I was 15 years old when I left school. And there is just, in my opinion, no need for you to do that. It's all about collaboration and bringing people together yeah like why struggle yourself when you can get someone like you that knows the processes and knows how to get it done properly and and it is the challenges because listen i I know we'll, we'll get to that but i just this story because oh my god i'm just thinking about it for example the deal we did on the HMO in the Article 4 area when we got a, co- a phone call from the planning officer at the council to say, I'm sorry, but there's no way this is getting granted. And I was like, two weeks prior, just before we were supposed to exchange and complete. And I was like, what? Are you kidding? I just, I literally almost had a fit. And what was it? The environmental agency had... Um, objected to the application and said that they they can't do it at all the the um the it's a flood zone 3b blah 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 there's no way you can do this and i remember being on the phone to you going what do we do because i was so far down the line with this property we have to get it through like do you remember the anxiety that we felt at this point i swear hadn't you already put deposit down or that they'd asked for another deposit or I can't remember what it was but yeah, yeah it was it was that point where it was yeah we we had to dig deep for that one I think but <laughs> you know just being able to talk to you and the benefit and, and I was going back and forth and then we just did it as a team like going back yeah. and forth and and you know anyway on this deal it was totally refused they were like no you're not doing it and um, you can't or if you do do it you, you can't have any bedrooms on the ground floor. And we were like, well, then it, there's no point doing the deal. So we were just like, that's just not going to work for us. Anyway, we ended up getting through to the um, the person that objected at the environmental agency. Um, honest to God, there's a long process and we should do some training on that because that was a fun task in all, all itself to try and get hold of somebody. Yeah. Um, Anyway, we, we satisfied them and actually it was just asking them the question. I said, look, I'm a really good landlord. And I sent him loads of pictures of the quality of what we do. So he was like, oh, wow, you know, this is like a hotel. I went, absolutely. You know, we want to really give total cl- like luxury to our tenants. And, and I run a real tight ship on maintaining this and, you know, providing safe accommodation for my tenants. So what's the problem why have you objected and what do we do to get that removed and he's like well if you do flood resilient and resistance measures up to 600 mil then i'll remove my objection i was like so you'll remove it and then i rang the council and was like if he removes his objection will it get granted and she went well yeah that's the only reason that it's not going through i was like, oh my god you said this in an email and i was like going back and forth for like two days and i like send the email send the email and then we got it just in time and then the council granted it. I can't believe it. But that's what, like, just having the right power team with you to know this, because if it wasn't for the fact of making that phone call, having those solutions to be able to change up the design to be able to do this resistance, we would we would have lost that deal. And that deal, 125 grand purchase, revalued at 310,000, only having spent like 65 on it, 
amazing deal that turned out to be. But we almost yeah. missed it because if we hadn't got you and obviously the way that we work and, and doing whatever it takes and get and being trained and like mentored to push the boundaries, because even the council said you're not going to get hold no. of the APA. No, but yeah, but exactly. It. But to understand what actually is the situation and how to handle it versus you know panic and because uh, <laughs> I, I remember it was even four or six thousand pounds was already in the deal, yeah. and if we were to pull out, then that was going to be lost. Yeah. So. Um, is knowing how to handle that because that's when emotion goes up. Let's let's answer this question anyway. So how do you encourage? Uh, let's put it up there. So how do you encourage uh, vendors or agents to take the property off the market because your offer is subject to planning? That'd be interesting. Let's let's everyone have a go at that. Go on then, Adam. Do you encourage vendors or agents to take? Or how do you encourage vendors to take property off the market? Well, it's to be honest, that is one where it is sort of bringing your whole team together, isn't it? Because that's that's a question for solicitors to see. Well, it's part of negotiation. Um, you know, we we as architects, if you get someone on board, we can obviously give our what our thoughts are and whether we think it's likely to get planning or not. Um, I mean, it's it's then again seeing if you can twist the planning officer's arm to see if you can get an indicative response from them. Um, we've got one at the minute where we've kind of done that, um, which has kind of helped, you know, whether you stick by your guns and stick to an offer subject to planning or whether you go for it unconditionally and you push it through, um, but you do take that risk. So it's, um, yeah, I don't know. What's your experience as well? I think with us, so I, I've had loads, and especially in Article 4 area, I know I need planning. So I get the offer accepted, and then I know I'm going to have eight weeks where it's going through a planning um, permission. So I get you in like as early as possible to so get my planning agent, get my architect around at early convenience as possible whilst my offer is being accepted so that we can get the planning in straight away so that eight-week process starts. And then we just we just leave it until a bit later on in the process um, where we can start doing searches and all the next steps to get the mortgage applications and things like that. But equally, prior to that point, prior to even getting the offer accepted, I normally get in touch with you. I say, I'm looking at this deal. I'm pretty much got it agreed. Can you just check your magical systems, Adam, and see yeah. what you think? And you go, yeah, seems to be a precedent in the area. They've just approved this one. There's only this many HMOs on this. Like you check all your magical systems, which again is why it's important to have an amazing planning agent architect that knows and, and, and has all these systems set up so that they can help you and guide you. It doesn't mean you will get it accepted, but you just know by doing your due diligence that it's more likely at this point. Yeah, yeah. definitely. The, the key there as well is if you know that to make the deal work or make the deal really attractive, that you've got to get planning, then it's to have all of that understanding, due diligence done before you even get into that conversation. Yeah. So there yeah. are there are very specific formulas and very specific ways to do it, which just make it easy and simple. Yeah. And that's all you, that's all you got to follow. I mean, we cover it, we cover it in real life probably well. So yeah. so yeah. to go through that process, how to do it, even give live examples of how it's happened. Uh, and and here's the big thing: the uplifting value, yeah. especially in Article Four area, when you do that. So here, look, we've got another question. So this other question is. What is the chance to get planning approved in an Article 4 area, Adam? 
cool. So this one's a good one, and it always gets asked, which is great. Um, so the thing about Article 4 that you have to sort of understand is Article 4 is a, um, it's a mechanism that the planners use for a specific reason, mainly because the, there's too many HMOs either in that specific area or I mean, some councils do it citywide. So take Lincoln, for example, their, their Article 4 area is completely citywide. That doesn't mean that there's too many HMOs in the entire city. I mean, Loughborough is exactly the same. Um, it's completely citywide, which means that it makes it, um, in one sense, it makes it easier for planning officers to to decide whether an application needs a planning application or not. Um, you've got other places such as Leicester, um, where they only uh, article force um, certain streets. So you've got certain areas, i.e. the city centre and certain key student HMO areas, where they've article forced over the years because they've basically said that there's too many in this one particular area. So when you go to decide whether you've got a chance of getting planning approved in it, the that sort of things that you need to start looking at. So I mean, take Leicester for example. An Article 4 area in Leicester has specifically been made an Article 4 area for that reason, that there's too many HMOs. So when you are putting an application in or you're looking at it, they're, they're assessing that application based on are there too many HMOs in that area? And most of them have like a, a percentage concentration um, of what they'll allow. Um, in Lincoln, it's generally 10%. So if there's 10% of um, properties in a 100 or 200 meter radius, um, that are all HMOs, then that's when they say, look, there's too many in this area, so therefore it's likely to get refused. Um, but again, that's not to say that it's going to get refused completely. There's other things to consider, such as parking. You know, if you can provide, you know, street parking, you know, on a lot of a lot of HMOs, terraced houses. So if you can provide parking, it's a bonus. Um, it means that the impact on the area is a lot less because you're not going to strain on the existing parking sort of around uh, that street. Um, there's also arguments that if you are in a city centre location, they might not necessarily need parking because they can walk to the train station or they can cycle to work or walk to the shops or whatever it is. Um, so things like putting cycle stores in the back gardens, um, they can all help sort of build that argument. Um, um, encouraging eco-friendly travel as well. Exactly. And I, and that's, and with Article 4, they, they just want to ensure that the neighbours are going to be okay because a lot of it is that, like in certain areas we've had, if it's more than 20%. So it could be like, at, at the point that they put the Article 4 in place, there may have been an intensification of HMO in yeah. that area. But but how long, I always look at it like this, I'm like, how long ago was the Article 4 implemented? So in one of our areas, it was in 2012. There is a far different situation in that area now to when they put that in place. So now they're like, yes, we need more because we don't have enough housing. Because the, you know, the um, actual, what's it called? Population in that area has risen by like 400% since they put yeah. the article four in. So now they're like, yes, we need more, we need more. Um, but you have to, yes, yeah, still look at the streets that aren't already intensified. Maybe look outside the box. I personally don't 
um, deal with like students, myself in my portfolio. But for example, those areas, when you're in an article four, you're pretty much very, very unlikely to get one of those through because that's probably the reason the article four is in the place in to begin with anyway. And it just means there's a lot of students, a lot of noise, there's a lot of complaints, a lot of objections, which is why they put an A4 in place. But maybe slightly out of that region, maybe looking more into the professional market where there are a lot more rural areas, these work, you know, there's going to be less impact, like you say, and there may be slightly bigger houses also. So there's a there's a whole array of things, um, I think, that, that can be looked at in regards to that. But it's always, I think, personally, have an excellent architect, excellent planning agent, because that's the only way you can work in an Article 4 area, in my opinion. You can't do yeah. it by yourself, unless you want to fail. Yeah, no, completely agree. And it does, I mean... Yeah, you, the, the key point is, like you said then, know your area, know where there's existing HMOs, know where, even if it's just outside an A4 area, you've got, you know, that's where opportunities are because people aren't going to suddenly stop living on a street further on just because one's an A4 and one's not. So it's, um, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, that maybe leans on to Sam's question about whether an A4 adds too much uplift in the profit value. Yeah, so the, so the next question was how much of an uplift in property value should be expected when an Article 4 area, when an Article 4 becomes an area to exist? So I think what it means is obviously if it's not an Article 4 area currently, but it's becoming one, how much uplift in the property value should be expected? Yeah, um, that's one for, <laughs> that's one for, yeah. Down to my experience, I don't know. What do you reckon, Trish? <laughs> In my experience, I think things are changing. Times are changing with regards to valuations on commercial um, assets like a HMO. So if you're doing a full, proper refurbishment to um, a really high standard and you're providing them all with their own ensuite facilities and things like that, and you're making it more like self-contained little units, especially if, for example, you're doing studio style and you're putting kitchenettes in there as well, um, then, for example, um, <laughs> um, no, so for example, with that, um, they are looking at it more as an asset. So in my experience at the moment, we're getting quite similar valuations in our A4 areas as our non-A4 areas. So, for example, we had a five-bed, um, four-bath. That was the one in Hatham um, that became... Um, we bought it for 145, we turned it into a five bed, four bath, and it got valued at 315,000. And our article four, five bed, two bath also got valued at 315,000. So it was a total like shock to me, but he said, well, it's got the same rents, you know, it's the same finish. So I was really surprised and it wasn't in an article four area, obviously the other one, but they were close. So it could have had something to do with the comparables in that area. So in my experience, kind of a non-article four, um, it could be a difference between 50 to 100,000. We're getting in an article four area, they're like looking at them and generally it works out anywhere between 65 and 80,000 per room. That's what it seems to work out. Obviously, it's a yield-based valuation and when they're doing commercially, but it generally works out to be between 65,000 for the small rooms and up to 80,000 a room for our large suite-style rooms. 
Whereas in a non-article four area, you might be looking at more like 45,000 to 50, 55,000 per room. So it, it does absolutely add um, a massive uplift depending on how you buy. So just always buy with the end in mind. And this is just going to be a great bonus when your area that isn't an article four becomes one. Definitely. It'd be very interesting to see how it gets on with that one. Well, I think that, that you've got um, the reason there's a reason that there's an article four area in place, and that's because there is a, a higher demand for that type of accommodation. So, hence, rents are higher, hence, the yield are higher, hence, the value at the end is higher. So, yeah, that does, yeah, it also ties in, I guess. So, we've got time for one more question. Um, so, this one says, We've got a property that's in a non article four area. We are looking to build a double side extension. So we would have enough for eight rooms, but would you do the six and then apply for the extra two? So I think I think it's good to say what the, would be the pro, what, you know, what would be the advantages or what would be the situation in both scenarios if you just went for it full out or if you went for it in stages? Yeah, definitely. I mean, having so I'm guessing that looks like you could get eight rooms if you did uh what was that so, so you get the if, if they did a double side extension they could get eight rooms or would you do six then apply for the side extension and the extra two once pd's granted for the six rooms okay um so there is there's two ways of doing it like you say um you could either put an application in and do the whole thing all in one application which would be for a two, two a double side extension uh, an eight bed hmo um i don't know if there's any anything else that you were doing inside or you needed to a loft conversion or something but all of that gets rolled into one application um now from from a planning point of view they are looking at what's the existing use which in this situation i'm guessing is just a normal c3 dwelling and what's the proposed use so is an eight bed hmo with a two-story side extension and any other alterations that they're doing so they're then assessing how much impact there is between the existing and the proposed so in this situation if you were to put it in as one application there's quite a lot going on there you've got a two-story extension which might sort of impact existing building lines it might impact the the street scene um i mean there's, there's countless two-story extensions that that happen so it's that is usually down to the design of it and and making sure that it does sort of conform to to building lines and everything else um but when you add that to creating eight rooms you could potentially i mean for argument's sake that's that c3 dwelling could have a single person living in it and you're now proposing eight people living in it so there's potentially up to seven more people in that one area which is quite a big impact um and it's something that the planners say well hang on a minute if there's seven more people there's seven more lots of waste there's potentially seven more cars there's a lot more um, movements going in and out of the house it suddenly becomes quite a quite an impact on the neighbors and that's when they're starting to sway you know actually this this is becoming you know undesirable alternative um the alternative is like like the suggested doing the six under permitted development um you know maximizing a property as best you can um as anyone can with a dwelling 
um, whether it be doing a single story rear extension or a loft conversion or maximizing the floor space in that way. Um, which then might mean that you might not, for starters, you might not need to do a two story extension. Um, but it might also mean that you can get, I don't know, maybe seven rooms in there without having to do anything else. And so then when you're, like you say, you, you put six in there straight away under permitted development, they're then looking at the existing use, which is a house which has been enlarged with six people already living in it, and you're applying to get two extra people in, which, you know, when you, when you go from six to eight, the impact isn't half as bad because it's two more people. So there's potentially two more yeah, cars. Yeah. yeah, that's it. And not only that, but it's an established use. So there's already a six bed HMO in that area. So the neighbors are used to six people coming and going. They're used to the amount of waste. They're used to the noise and everything else. Um, and so, yeah, there's just less of an impact, which which is what the plan has sort of taken into consideration. So, I mean, it, it does vary depending on how you set up the deal and, you know, in terms of finance and everything else. But um, from a planning perspective, it is often easier and nicer to go through um, to maximise the site under permitted development and then do what else you need to do just as a top up, if you like, um, to get to get those last couple of rooms in. Yeah, I agree, because I think we worked on a deal, didn't we, where we did the whole argument with ourselves about should we just go for the seven, 12-person suite generous straight away from just a normal dwelling house, or do we actually look at this? And, yeah, we might have to do two applications, but it's much more likely. And that's exactly what we decided to do, because it was an Article 4, and you were because you person wasn't it because dual occupancy and he was like yeah. this is just no there's no way because because to, to them just doing six to start with is like, oh, it's only it's only a little hmo so we'll let that one through so then we got yeah. that went for planning um, and on your advice it worked so we went through we got the first one accepted just to make it into a c46 person and then we went straight back in with a second application for the for just one more room so a seventh room but for 14 people sweet generous because of the dual occupancy and it got accepted because like you said they were like oh it's only another room it's only one more room and and yeah fair enough if these rooms are massive so we could have couples in there and we want to obviously be able to facilitate those as well you know we we had a story with them where we we spoke to them and said yeah you know a lot of people a lot of couples are renting these rooms at the moment because and um, they're saving to buy a house for a couple of years they'll rent a room in a hmo and they're like oh wow so we're actually helping them to be able to buy property as well so it, yeah it was a whole conversation that was had part of that application so good good job good job completely yeah, listen. It's been amazing, Adam. We're gonna have to, we're gonna there's so much value, and I know you can add so much more, which you will. I'm gonna tell you about that in just a second. But I just want to thank you right now for everybody. I think on behalf of everybody, said so this has been very, very valuable. Great insight to how much more value architects can add, how much more uh, enjoyable the process of planning can be because you know that it's there to add value. So, Adam. Um, we will send you the details of a very secret location uh, shortly, and we're just going to finish this, and we'll meet you there. Fantastic. Yeah? Thank you so much for having me. really appreciate it. And uh, good luck. Good job. Awesome guy. And Adam will put his company in the comments because that's how we roll here. Uh, I'm okay with collaboration and you, you 
increasing your exposure. So guys, that was Adam and he is awesome. So look, I've got something very special for the real life tribe. You know, the mastermind is tonight. The mastermind is tonight, eight o'clock. Your details is either in the group or it's in your email right now. Yeah, something very special is not only are you going to have the normal mastermind that we have, but Adam is going to join us in the mastermind as well. So this is a closed secret special invite only for tribe members real life tribe members uh access area so this way you're going to get live interaction to be able to ask your questions so i know there were still a few questions coming through um for those people so i know sam obviously you're going to be able to go Property Wealth, Pro, it's a two-day program. It's, the next one is on the 1st and 2nd of February. So you need to get yourself there if you want to learn more about this, have more interaction with great people. But like the truth is, if you actually want to get results, if you, if you actually want to do something different, that is more than just acquiring the knowledge. Look, we want to give you the information. We want to give you things for free better than maybe other people charge for. Yeah, because that's just the way we roll. But when you come to a live program, there's a saying that says experience is the best teacher. Well, my friend, mentor, coach, Alex Mandosian, he, he said this phrase. He said, experience is the only teacher. So if you want to learn in a very experiential way on how not just to find deals, raise money, get deals that work for you, go through the processes, know what strategies are best for you, know what your outcome is and how to set goals so you can actually get deals at work in a very fast and powerful way, then you've got to do it through experience. Reading a book on how to ride a bike is not effective last time I checked. Yeah, you've got to actually get some experience. So if you want to do it in a very safe environment, Real Life Property Wealth is a place to do it. So put that in the comments. It's reallifepropertywealth.com. You'll be able to get your tickets. You'll be able to get your uh, slot confirmed. It's going to be amazing. It always is. But guys, real life tribe mastermind right now at eight o'clock. Get yourself over there. You got a little bit of a break before you get over there. So it's been amazing. Uh, great to add value again. Keep sending us a message if there's anything, any particular information or uh, live or training you, you would like us to do, and we'll do it. We'll bring it to you. And if we don't know, we will bring you the best who do know. So thank you very much for being here. Oh, look, I'm not just there. I'm also here as well. Do you, you realize that? Look, that's crazy. Yeah, I don't know. Technology works like that. So thank you very much, guys. It's been uh, amazing. I will see you again very soon. Oh, 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 no, I forgot. you got to do the right thing for, for the, the right reason. reason. That's the only way you're going to discover your true potential. potential. Sounds like some cheesy biker <laughs> growth, you know, advert. <laughs> okay, see you later. Bye-bye.